Good morning. And it's a beautiful morning. About 10 minutes before the service started, we were wondering if you all were outside enjoying the sunshine rather than come to church. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to sharing the word this morning, and it's a privilege to do so. Thank you for coming. And one of the things that I enjoy about speaking to groups of people is that I have the chance to encourage that we might move on in faith and in love. And I hope and pray that that would be the reality for you this morning. For when we look around the world today, we often can be overwhelmed by the challenges and the problems that are there. So much disease. Studies and reports identify that 50% of all adults experience some chronic disease of one kind or another heart disease, high blood pressure, cancer, diabetes, autoimmune disease, and you could go on. Then you get into mental health issues, and we know that 50% of adolescents actually meet the criteria for some mental health problem or condition. There has been a dramatic increase in anxiety and depression, especially among young people. Right now, the antipsychotic medications are in the top five or six of the prescriptions that are given today in America. And certainly those of us who are counselors know this to be a reality. I cannot keep up with the phone calls coming in, especially for young people that need support and help. Drug and alcohol abuse have been around since the beginning of time. Yet, death due to drug abuse has increased over 30% in recent years. The death rates by suicide are up 27. Some reports go over 30%. Suicide is the number 12 leading death in America today. In the year 2020, there were over 45,000 deaths by suicide. And not only that, there were 1.2 million attempts that we know of. One of the challenges of being a counselor is you will have occasionally losses that come your way with people who come through your office. And for me, that has been a recent reality with a death by suicide. And so these hit home. People are lost and discouraged, disillusioned. Then we could go on with the war that we see all around the world, and I forgot to look up how many wars are actually going on in the world, certainly the war in Ukraine being the most prevalent in the news right now. I still can't in my own way, I cannot figure out how we as humans have not figured out that shooting each other and killing each other doesn't solve problems. I just don't understand it. The value of the military spending globally is something like $1.92 trillion. Could we use some of that money to solve poverty and hunger? To change the reality of many people's lives? In this country alone, millions are living in poverty, some 34 million. What could we do with some of those trillions of dollars? So we get into poverty. 9.2% of the world, it's estimated, live in extreme poverty. 
on less than $1.9 a day. Can you imagine that? I just bought a coffee yesterday that was four times that cost. And so we have poverty all around. Then materialism. One of the challenges I think we experience in our culture is this issue of materialism. Somehow we think by accumulating possessions will fix what ails me on the inside. And if I define materialism as it's the seeking of control or ownership or dominance in some way, and we could all see that happening all around us. I see it with young people with the phones. Oh my goodness. Take a phone away from a young person and you've got a battle in your house. How many would say amen to that? Yes. <laughs> so even young people getting caught up in materialism and the need to have something in their hand and really to take, to take focus away what's going on in hearts and minds. Tribal politics, which includes racism, vilifying the other side because we disagree. And then the human nature is to find our tribe, to get connected with our tribe, and then to defend our ground. That has been going on since the beginning of humanity and its getting together in communities. So what do we do with all this? Because if I were to stop right now, you all go home and be depressed like me if this is all we think about. The difficulty, the reality is that the world around us is broken. But what about Christians? And life has challenges for many of our brothers and sisters, those who identify as Christ followers. These things can be pressing in on us and having a negative impact. I think there's a desperate and an increasing desperation to experience nurturing, supportive, and loving relationships. There is a pervasive sense of meaninglessness and disconnection from other people and from nature. You know, it would be easy to give up. It would be easy to fall away in discouragement and disillusionment. But we have in our faith as Christians something we can hang on to. Amen? So the title of my sermon, What the World Needs Now. So some of us are old enough <laughs> to remember that song. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. And we have talked about this forever, but I don't think the message has changed. What I'd like to take a look at today is in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. And in this passage, we see that the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get him to say something that was out of line with the recognized theological thoughts of the day. The Pharisees, the keepers of the law, the keepers of control of the people, they were trying to get at Jesus because, man, this guy, he was doing some crazy things, healing people, even did it on the Sabbath, having parties with people and sitting and talking with those that were not like him. In fact, he was even found to be alone in a, a room with two women and enjoying a meal together, totally out of cultural expectations of the time. So they didn't like this man, Jesus, and they were trying to get at him and trap him. 
And so in this, they come to Jesus and they are in the Matthew. You can see them asking questions and they're trying to trap him. And so the question that the Pharisees asked, he says, they said, what is the greatest commandment? So Jesus in his wisdom and said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What the world needs now is love. I really believe that the great mission of our day is not conquering space and sea, disease, mental health issues, materialism, sin, tyranny, or poverty, although they need to be addressed. The great quest, the great quest calling from the divine nature that lives in us, the divine image that has been given to us since creation, is that we are meant to be fully alive, to experience inner freedom, to experience God's full grace and mercy, to walk out a radiant purpose, and ultimately to live in and give love. Let me read that again. The great quest calling from the divine image in all of us is to be fully alive, to experience inner freedom, to experience God's full grace and mercy, to walk out a radiant purpose, and ultimately to live in and give love. And as I think about that, then you come to, then what is love? Because somehow we haven't quite, we know this, we've been told it, but we haven't quite figured out how to make this happen at times. Now, love can be an intense feeling. You often say, people will say, I love you or I, I love this person. And it is an indication of a deep affection, a tenderness for another person, a desire to be connected in some way or that feeling of being connected. Or we could say we love something. We can say that we have a great interest or pleasure in like, I love music. And that was such a blessing today, brothers, as you played for us. Right? We take pleasure in sports and food. Take a look at some Saturday, Sunday afternoons with uh, people watching football, and you can see a lot of passion. And certainly, we could define that as love. Now, we could go on and talk about love, and there's been a lot of studies on it, and people trying to define it in some way. There can be agreement and disagreement on it. And perhaps we don't have the definition quite nailed down. But think about this. We would say that if... Let me, let me say it differently. You know love when you feel it. Isn't that true? You know love when you feel it. You know when you are loved by your spouse. You know when you are loved by your parents by your neighbor and by others. There's something about it. We just know intuitively in our hearts what it is and what it is not. I believe as humans made in the image of God that we are actually wired for intimacy, empathy, and connection. We are wired for compassion, kindness, and love. And if you go back to all the problems that we have in our world, isn't it a screaming indication of that we're missing this 
God-wired, indwelt desire. We're wired for intimacy, empathy, connection, compassion, kindness, and love. When people come into my office, often the thing that they talk about in some way is they've been harmed or they're struggling. And ultimately, they haven't been loved in some way or they're not feeling loved. When couples come in who would say they loved each other at the beginning, come in in a place of brokenness and strife and having trouble getting along and working cooperatively and really loving each other. Somehow, they've gone away from the mark of loving one another. So in verse 37, 37 it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So this morning, taking just a quick look at the definitions here in this first part of the verse, and I'll spend a little bit more time about loving neighbors and loving ourselves. But Jesus rightly says, you shall love the Lord your God. And he takes this from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. So Jesus was quoting scripture that the Pharisees knew. So they could not challenge him on it because, well, he just, what he said was true. They were trying to trap him, missed on that one, right? So loving God, what does it mean to love with all of our heart? There's something about our heart condition. The Bible talks about it often, like God is interested in the heart of man. Or you may hear somebody ask, what is in your heart? Or, you know, he really has a heart for this or a heart for that. The heart, you could spend time on digging into this. In reality, it's the inner man. It's the seat of our emotions, kind of the seat of our knowledge and wisdom. It's from the place where our conscience and awareness of the world around us springs. It really is a seat, some people would say, of our moral character. Now you can't, you really can't see that, we just know it by the studies, but if I were to, you know, pull my chest open and show the heart, you know, it's a beating organ. But yet we also know, and we can appreciate this, there's something about the heart that is different. So interesting, they've been doing some studies. There's an institute out in, I think it's California, called the Heart Math Institute. Now, how heart and math got together, I have no idea because I, I don't like math. <laughs> and it, it discourages my heart. <laughs> but what that means is they've been doing some studies at the Heart Math Institute. We now know that the heart perceives. There's some neurotransmitters. Our heart perceives. So if some danger were to come into this room, my heart would perceive it before my head. Isn't that interesting? Now it's in like, like little milliseconds, little, whatever's smaller than a millisecond, but it happens. They can measure these things today. So our heart perceives. When, so people who have been in trauma or have experienced trauma, they tend to have, my wife is one of them, tend to have a radar. Their heart is sensitive to others' heart condition. Is this a safe person or not? When I was in ministry up in New Hampshire, my wife was my wingman, and I used to have to ask, would you spend some time with this person and let me know what your heart perceives? Because I'm being told one thing with lips, but I'm not sure I'm, they're being honest with me. So the heart perceives. And therefore, God is saying, 
Jesus is saying, look, love the Lord with all of your heart, every part of your being from the very core. There's a worship song some years ago that came out that I enjoyed singing, and it was from the heart to my, from the head to the heart. I know that song. I can't, if that's the title, from my head to my heart, I'm looking to have that happen. I'm like, I've actually changed my thoughts on this. I actually think we need to go from the heart to the head. We say that Jesus lives in our heart, so therefore, he fully, and I'll talk about that in a moment, what that actually means for us, but our head gets in the way. So from the heart, from our very, the depth of our beating, our emotions, our focus, we would love God. Our, char- our moral character would reflect this love of God. And we could say who we are, we can take personality assessments, and you can define different personalities. There's all kinds of personalities in this room. And when you get right down to it, you get down to the character of, the, of people, right? There is a whole lot of different characters in this room. Can I say that respectfully? We all have a particular character. What is your character? It's the mental and moral qualities it's that are distinctive to us. And I would submit that the experiences of life and the quality of relationships around you reveal your character and whether your heart is full of love or not. Your relationships reveal your character. Think about it. Your relationships with your family, with your loved one, with your spouse, with others, reveals your true character. And some people just can't help but show their (laughs) negative character, put them in front of a camera for a while. And some people reveal a heart that is not one that loves God. So what would your character reveal? Would it reveal that you love God above all else? I would say that it indeed tells us that our perception of who God is and what he's done can be exposed by our character. What blocks our ability to love God from all of our heart? I was thinking about that. Certainly, our hearts can be wounded, can get into disordered personalities and suffering. Yet, it is this wounded place. We are deeply wounded by often by those that ought to be loving us the most. Deeply wounded by our spouse, our parents, by those closest to us in our family. And so then we shut our heart down. And we think of that guarding my heart as a big thing. We used to say, guard your heart. And that was to keep from evil from coming in. But I think we've gotten to the place of guarding our heart and not being open. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, open your heart to us. Let's get connected. And so our heart shuts down. I would submit that being open-hearted requires attentive practice. And so as Jesus puts out this commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, we need to practice that. Practice loving God from this open place and knowing that He loves us. Give Him our all. And how do you do that? I would say, well, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Practicing being open-hearted. Then to love God with all of our soul. What is our soul? Now, oftentimes, there, have been, uh, there was a couple of deaths in our family the past few weeks, and 
uh, certainly the, the passing of a loved one uh, that was in, I was connected with, and, and, and often you'll hear, you're going to pray for their soul. Um, of course, there's, that's a, you ever hear that, right? I'm going to pray, we're going to pray for their soul. And it's something that we have in our kind of lexicon, the way we say things at funerals and things. Um, I would submit that whatever transpires during that passing into next is all about our living in the moment. But we say that, and actually it's not a correct indication of what the soul is. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God breathed life into Adam, that's the soul in the Old Testament, sukkah. So God breathed life. So the very breath you're breathing right now, you're living, that, that's the indication of your soul. Your soul is what sustains you living today. He breathed life into Adam. Every time, now think about it, some of you've seen babies born, moms and fathers, you've seen the babies born, what's the first thing they do? And Big breath in, and then the crying, which is an indication of they're aware of a world they're entering into, I think. <laughs> but they take that big, dip, deep breath in. And if you've been with anybody who's passed, what's the last thing that you see? Is that an exhalation. In the Old Testament, we use the word Yahweh. The Jewish people speak of Yahweh. And I don't know if I said this last time I was here, but if you were to pronounce that more in, the, in Hebrew, it would be Yahweh. The very breath of God sustains our life. Every breath you take is an indication of a God who loves you and the opportunity for you to express love to God. So our soul, the very breath, the thing that I do in life, does it speak to my worship of God, our activities and our priorities are they geared around this worship of God and in kingdom work? It's a good question to ask. What is the challenge of our soul? I think if we think about it as living, what am I doing that kind of sustains my life? Am I sucked up into materialism and too busy to love others? Am I just going from one thing to another? Or am I taking time? To love God with my very breath. To love people in the words that I say. And what I speak in moments of distress and discouragement. I really believe in breath work. That breathing in and breathing out. If anybody comes to my office for counseling, especially with anxiety and depression, especially anxiety, I'm teaching them how to breathe more effectively. <laughs> Simple. All the years of schooling and all the work. And it comes down to, here, let me help you learn how to breathe more effectively. Taking a deep breath in and a slow breath out and those kinds of things. And what about the mind? It says, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. So going in here, the mind is like the facility or understanding. It's the way I think about the world. It's my perception. It's the... If I could say it's the lens through which I see the world. And we all have ways in which we think, and some are different than others. We have different perceptions and biases. But we all have a way in which we see the world. And so think about it. If your mind, if you're thinking in your mind that the world is unsafe, 
then you will tend to pull into yourself or to isolate yourself. God wants us to be habitually focused on worshiping Him, worshiping life that He has sustained and given us. So what is your thinking like? How do we get off track of loving God with all of our mind? I would submit it's often fear, often a critical spirit, often a quickness to judge. You see, we're actually addicted to our way of thinking. We are trapped into our way of thinking. One of the healthiest things we could ever do is actually to think, I could be wrong about what I'm thinking. In marriage relationships, I see this all the time. To, I want to understand what's going on. I can't really even have empathy for another person unless I open my mind to consider another way of thinking. So our minds could get in the way. So if we're full of anxiety and fear and criticism and judging others and a judgment that pushes away rather than proper judgment, our minds get in the way, then it's hard to love God because we're trapped in our own way of thinking. How do we love God with all of our minds? It takes an examination of our thoughts, I believe. And transformation comes as we begin to change the way we think about ourselves, about the world around us, and about God. We can examine our thoughts. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that we have the mind of Christ. And I was thinking about that. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? I think it is about the humility, compassion, focusing or understanding the incorporating the fruits of spirit in our life and to know that I am saved and sanctified I've been healed I've been made right that God has given me a purpose in living all of those kinds of thoughts will inspire me on to love others and love God so this is the first and the great commandment Jesus says in verse 38 in some way Jesus is saying this kind of sums it all up if you love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, everything else starts to come together and make sense. It holds it all up. It's like a, the legs on a, well, three, is a, is a three-legged stool stable? I think it is. Yeah, but, but Jesus goes on to say, he says, uh, and sometimes we say, uh, we forget that he actually goes on to say something more. In verse 39, Jesus says, and the second is like it. Or in some translations, the, the second is just as important as the first. Interesting. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Many Christians, and especially in a Western mindset, we tend to put things in a hierarchical uh, structure. And so we say, well, i got to love God. i got to love God. I'm not loving Him enough. And we beat ourselves up over it. I'll get to my neighbor and myself, but if I'm loving God, I'm okay. Jesus says, no, wait a minute. It's like, I like to think of it as kind of in a circle. Loving God, loving others, loving myself. Loving God, loving others, loving myself. It's kind of a dance. And that dance, that choreographed dance, really, is what Jesus is saying. They're all important. Jesus is quoting Leviticus 19.18, where God uh, commanded and gave to Moses the law, 
Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Easy to define by dictionary. It's those that are close by, those that live in proximity, nearby. So who's my neighbor? You guys are my neighbor. You have neighbors right here in this room. You have neighbors that you live next to. The people in the store, wherever you go, where you work, they're all your neighbors. Oh my, Fritz, I don't know about loving some of my neighbors. I don't know about loving some of my co-workers. I can hardly love my spouse right now. I'm not sure about loving my neighbors. But yet we're called to do it. We had, uh, when we first bought a house in Milford, we came from that area. My wife, uh, my wife gave you permission to share the story. But she was standing at the kitchen sink in a window, and she's washing. She looks out at the neighbor's house, and she sees this guy up in the house, and uh, he looks pretty rough, just full of tattoos and, and uh, long hair, and didn't have a shirt on, I don't think, did he? Yeah, so he was just at, on, a, on a roof, and um, some dangerous work, but he was up there, and, and uh, you know, my wife just chose in that moment to love him, whoever he was. And that led to a whole litany of challenges. <laughs> but he was somebody that, and my neighbor was the former mayor of Milford and had compassion on this guy and hired him to do all this yard work. He was in retirement. It was a big yard, beautiful yard, flowers and trees and beautiful. And so he felt bad for this guy, so he let him live in his barn in the back, in the top of the barn. No heat, no water, <laughs> but living up there, at least he could do that. But we got to know this man. And what a horrific life he led. Came out of the foster care system in this state. Tattoos from here, you know, down. But his arms were covered with scars. Covered with scars. And he talked about the pain he experienced and obviously how he tried to manage that. And he was an alcoholic. Functioning alcoholic, if there's such a thing, but there are. He was able to get through the day, do some work, but he would drink at night. And that caused some challenges. But we learned to love this man. We also began to have some challenges with our oldest daughter. And that actually opened our minds and hearts to receive others into our home. Young men living in my, my house in our basement. And one of our conditions was if you stay with us on a Saturday night, you have to go to church on Sunday morning. And so we saw a number of men come to faith and help. And so this was a way of loving our neighbor. I thought to myself, you know, if we truly loved our neighbor, would there really be war? Would there be war or hunger or murder or abuse? I would submit that that could be drastically, if not done away with, by learning to love our neighbor. And that even means loving those who disagree with us even on the political spectrum. Loving our neighbor, I believe, opens up the possibility to work together to solve the deep problems in our world. So loving our neighbor is so important and vital, especially today. What about loving yourself? This one can be a challenge, to love myself. So if you were to stand in front of the mirror clothed or unclothed, either way, would you look at yourself and could you say honestly, you know, Fritz, I love you. That, does that sound weird? It sounds a little weird. But could you do it? 
It's something I often, I'm, I'm giving away secrets. If you come into my office, I'm giving away some secrets here. But it's one of the questions we'll eventually come to is loving yourself and having people actually state that out loud. And some people are unable to do it at first. And that takes some work to get through some of the trauma and stuff that's informing their pain and wounding. But eventually, when they're able to hold, and if you were able to do this this morning, would you be able to hold your hand in your heart and just say, Fritz Maurer, I love you. Steve Bell, I love you. Brian Spooner, I love you. Sarah Spooner, I love you. Could you do that? And not in a selfish way, but to recognize that we are uniquely and divinely created by a God who loves us and has a radical and so important purpose in our life and a place for us to be. Most people have a real challenge in loving themselves. And there's three like core beliefs I really, when digging down, that's part of our work in counseling is helping people dig down to the beliefs that are driving their behavior and thinking. One is that somehow I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough, rich enough, tall enough, pretty enough, handsome enough. Somehow I am not enough. And that's often been learned by your experiences of life. And somehow I'm not enough. Another one I get to is that I'm different. Like there's something different about me. I don't fit in. I don't feel a part of the world or about a part of my family or the culture around me. There's something wrong with me. I'm different. Another one I sometimes get to is that it's not available to me. Like success is not available or uh, comfort is not available or finding the love of my life. It's not available or having success in my career, something's not available. And often that gets back even to the deeper one. I think of not enough seems to be the one that is at the core of it all. And it's so important to realize that loving ourselves starts with the acknowledgement that we have a God who deeply loves us, accepts us. There's a great definition of love that I, I like to use, and it's this that I can be fully present with another person, I can be fully accepted. Sometimes I expand it to, I can be fully present, fully known, and fully accepted. Now, if you want to transform your marriage relationship, try that one on. You can be fully with your spouse, fully known by them, and fully accepted. Oh my, oh my. That can make a difference. My wife and I have gone through our own challenges in our marriage. There was a couple times, I don't like to admit it, but my wife was ready to call it quits. This man had a selfish heart and had to do some work. And we worked on our marriage relationship. We've got a friendship now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for anything. Fully known. Fully present. Fully accepted. Wow. What a difference that can make. How about our kids? That's what little, little babies, right? They run up to you and they want to hug, right? They, wanna, they just want to be with you fully. You lift them up and hold them fully loved, fully known, fully accepted. That's love. Well, here's the thing. We have a God who fully knows us, fully present with us. St. Augustine says, you know, God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. Fully knows us fully present, 
And he fully accepts us through the work of Jesus Christ. Sin has been washed away. We sang about that this morning. Oh, what a place. As Christians, we have a message to tell the world. Fully loved, fully known, fully accepted. That's what the world needs now. Is to know a love like that. So we love God with our heart and our soul and all of our minds. I want to encourage you. Well, how do you, how do you work on this? How do you work on loving others, loving God, and loving ourselves? It takes attentive work. It just doesn't happen. Unfortunately, in our flesh and our desires and the world's pulling us away in different ways, it takes intentional work. The Apostle Paul says to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith, and that's not necessarily about faith in Christ, but it does, does what you think and what you believe about the world line up with what we know to be true in the Scriptures and God's love for us? So one of the ways you can do it is be mindful. I always teach my people that come into my office, start paying attention to what you think about. Be mindful. Are you often in criticism and judgment, defensiveness, stress and anxiety? Because that blocks us to be fully present with God, loving Him and loving those around us. Mindfulness is a great way to begin and then take that to God. One thing that I teach people is relax and release. I'll give you an example so you can understand this. I, was, I had an interaction with somebody that didn't go very well. <laughs> I got very angry. And I stood my ground. Now, I've had martial arts experience. I stood my ground and I stared this person down. I was like, go ahead, try it. I'll, I'm not even going to say it. It just feeds my flesh, right? I walked away from that fully convinced that I was right. And it was important for me to stand my ground. I got back into my office. I had a client come in. Now I have to shift, shift my attention to somebody else's needs. And I thought to myself, Fritz, that was not good. That was not good. So then I began, when I had a moment later in the day, I started to think about what was that about. Now, I, I experienced some bullying when I was a kid. And I have to be honest. Uh, I did, bullying is a, I react very strongly to bullying. Um, and it really, to be, is there kids in here? <laughs> One of the things I had to learn is to stand up for myself. I'll leave it at that with some people who were bullying me, and the bullying stopped. So, what I thought about, okay, God, what was that last interaction about? And I did a, just close my eyes, and God, just speak to me, and boom, a memory that I hadn't thought about in years about an incident where I felt powerless and unable to get out from. So that's what that feeling is deep down in my heart. That feeling of powerlessness. So what I did is, okay God, you know, God is always present, always with us. I just took a deep breath. The powerlessness is going to relieve now I'm thinking it and just exit. God, wash me in your love. Breathing in again. Paying attention to that thought, breathing out. God, wash me with your love. And that energy just dissipates. And I was able to get on with my day. It's so simple. And yet, we don't practice it enough. So it takes practice. So mindfulness, breathing work, 
can we can challenge just put put the rational brain on you know the the fact is like I said before like the world is unsafe yeah there's unsafe things in the world but what you do have is some people around you and community that loves and can encourage each of you so how do we do it we do our own work there's this idea in counseling I like to think about healing from outside in inside out we do a really good job I think in the Christian faith about talking about how we ought to think act and engage in the world that's the outside in if it's drug addiction like I need to stay away from the drugs I need to protect myself those things outside in but I don't think we do as good of a job as inside out and I see in one of the sermons coming up the title is uh, Hope and Healing. Is that the, one of the titles coming up, I think? Small, small Oh, that's a small group. Well, that's a good place to practice healing because in small groups you get challenged by relationships. It just shows you what you need to work on, my opinion. <laughs> but we can do that. Where was I? Working from the inside out. So that takes attentive work. I need to understand what I'm thinking about, what I'm feeling. I need to work through some of that wounding of my past, and that's where counselors and and uh, loving, attentive uh, spiritual directors or pastors or even small groups can be a place of healing. Do that work. So I hope that I've encouraged you this morning. Jesus reminds us that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And just as important is to love our neighbor as ourselves. The world needs lovers of God. The world needs people who know what it means to be loved and to give love. Love your neighbor and to love yourself. I could go on for a couple of hours, but my time is up. So my question for you, what's the takeaway this morning for you? What is it that you can grab a hold of and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this. I'm going to practice loving my neighbor. And if you choose that one, when you go down the road and somebody cuts you off, you've got an opportunity to practice loving your neighbor or the person in the store. Or maybe it's a family member that is really challenging and you may have to have boundaries with them, but can I still love them even with my boundaries? Or perhaps it's loving yourself. Perhaps it's time to do some attentive work to what's really going on in your heart and what's keeping you from loving God with all of it and for loving others. What is it this morning that kind of grabbed a hold of you? So let's close our eyes and pray for a moment. And if closing your eyes is difficult, you can focus down in front of you. I would just ask, what is it that God has impressed upon you this morning to work on? I submit that the world needs lovers of God, lovers of neighbors, and Christians who know what it means to truly love themselves. So in this moment, as we're praying, I want you to just pay attention to your breath. Pay attention right now to breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in 
breathing out. Your life being sustained by God. Breathing in. Breathing out. Deeply loved. Deeply cherished. Breathing in. Breathing out. The fruit of the Spirit is, and listen to these words, and which one jumps out at you as you're breathing? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Breathing in, breathing out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. As you're paying attention and you're breathing, God, ask this question in your mind. God, why is this word important this morning? It's in the stillness that God speaks. So often we're so busy. Our God wants to heal us and cleanse us, enliven us for his purpose. And asking the question, God, this word is important this morning. Show me what you want to do with it today and in the next days to come. What the world needs now is men and women and children that love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, and that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. God bless this group as they have been attentive listening this morning. I pray for their hearts to be healed. I pray for their soul to be enlivened by your breath each and every moment as they walk out life. I pray for their minds to be purified and settled and calm to focus on kingdom work, on loving others. And God, help us to love our neighbors. Help us to see the pain, the discouragement and delusionment around us and to be people that the world can look at and say, oh, wow, they are different. What is different about them? It's because we know how to love. And in his name we pray, amen.